0: Thessalonians chapter three and verse one. And what we are doing here this evening, in that we've gathered to pray, and in that we have a particular focus in our prayers today, to seek the blessing of the Lord of, of heaven upon the labors of Mr. Shelton. We can be we need to be reminded that we're, we can easily lose sight of the significance of what we are doing. And the world, in the way that it assesses, would say that it's of no significance that we've gathered here this evening. And the multitudes will flock after the pleasures and riches of this world. But we need to be reminded, brethren, and beloved in the Lord, that we are about a great work uh, whenever we go to pray for the success of the gospel ministry. Satan would seek to blind us to the power of the weapons that the Lord has put into our hands to be used in faith because he knows that his kingdom is going to be destroyed by the preaching of the word, that it will be the breath of Christ's mouth that consumes and destroys his kingdom. He knows that it is through the prayers of the brethren that the success of preaching comes forth. And so may God give us grace then to see uh, indeed that his commandment is exceeding broad, as we had considered last time that we were together. When we are in one place, we can be influencing the course of events throughout the world. And that's especially true when it comes to praying for the success of preaching I want to take that as my subject tonight. The Lord has given us these words in our text. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. We'll consider three things this evening. The first is the priority of preaching. The priority... Of preaching. We know that we have a duty to pray, that we are to pray without ceasing. We know that prayer is as the breath of a Christian, that it was said of Saul when he was newly converted, behold he prayeth. You could say this of any Christian, that's the mark of a Christian, behold he prayeth. But where should we bestow our labors in prayer? What should we pray for? The most comprehensive answer to that question is, of course, given to us in the Lord's Prayer, as we commonly call it, given by our Lord. And answer to that question, teach us to pray. Now, those six petitions, when we begin to meditate upon them, it should strike us at how much they have to do with the preaching of the Word of God. The first petition, hallowed be thy name, but how is God's name made known? What do we mean by the name of God? We mean all that whereby he makes himself known, and especially his word. And in, in the preaching of his word is the chief means whereby he makes himself known. And therefore, the first petition in large measure is answered through the Lord blessing the preaching of his word. The second petition of thy kingdom come Well, we read elsewhere about the gospel of the kingdom. And so that kingdom advances through a gospel which is preached in the third petition. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. How do we know what God's will is? That's through his word and the preaching of his word. How are we made willing to do the will of God? Through the preaching of his word under the blessing of God's Holy Spirit. So the Lord's prayer has much to do With preaching, we have a specific command of our Lord in addition to that, to pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into those fields that are white unto the harvest. The provision of men to go and labor, especially as called and sent preachers of the gospel. We have the appeals of Paul to Christians, that they would pray for him and pray for him in what? But in his preaching, both in Ephesians 6, Colossians 4, he appeals for prayer that utterance may be given to him in the opening of his mouth. Or then in Colossians, the phrase is that a door of utterance may be given to him. That when he goes to open his mouth to preach the word, that God would assist and bless that preaching And the same is true here in our text in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Finally, brethren, pray for us. We ought to pray for all men. We ought to pray for kings. We ought to pray especially for the brethren. But we need to pray specifically for ministers of the gospel, for preachers. And so who's us? That's Paul, Silvanus, and Timotheus. Verse 1, chapter 1 of this epistle, we need to pray for sent gospel preachers who have been sent forth with the word of the Lord, bearing it and carrying it in their mouths. And pray for us to what end? That the word of the Lord may have free course and so on. Now, this phrase of the word of the Lord, it's a phrase that should ring a bell in our mind. It is Of course, a phrase that we meet with frequently in the Old Testament, and it has to do with preaching. We find it so much in the prophets of the Old Testaments. This uh, this phrase of the word of the Lord. We had most recently considered the prophet Hosea, and how he spoke of the beginning of the word of the Lord. That was the beginning of Hosea's preaching ministry. We read about the word of the Lord in the case of. Samuel first Samuel chapter 3, where it says that the Word of the Lord was precious, that is rare in those days. and there was no open vision, no vision that was literally that was spread abroad. So in the days of Samuel, preaching was rare. It was a rare thing for God to give a vision to a man, and then that he would open his mouth and spread abroad the message of God. Preaching was rare in the days of Samuel, and that was a problem. That was a deficiency, a want. It should have been felt as a want, but then it was a want that God supplied by raising up Samuel to be a preacher of the word of the Lord. This phrase of the word of the Lord, it's used uh, frequently in the book of Acts. It's there in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas, they speak the good news unto the Philippian jailer, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house, and then we're told that they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to those that were in his house, this word of the Lord, it refers to the preaching of the word by God's messengers. And so notice that we need to focus our prayers upon this and that nothing can make up for the absence of the preaching of God's word. Now there are means that God uses and we rejoice that he does use them. There are legitimate means that God uses. So for instance, tracts are a legitimate means of spreading the gospel and I pass out tracts myself. But yet, I don't imagine in my mind that this is the same thing that's being referred to here with the messengers of the Lord opening their mouth with utterance and speaking the word of the Lord. Or likewise, conversations that we might have with people that we know and that we meet in the workplace or in our family. I rejoice always and want to encourage prayer even specifically for that. of gospel conversations with people that we meet. But yet it's, it's not the same thing as what's being highlighted here. Pray for us ministers that the word of the Lord may have free course. And in the parallel passages, we understand we're praying for an utterance in the opening of the mouth. We're praying for preaching. Nothing can make up for the absence of preaching. We could pray sur- surely for God's blessing on websites that contain the gospel message, radio broadcasts. All these are legitimate means. But however, nothing can make up for the absence of a preacher and the absence of preaching. This tells us where we need to focus our kingdom prayers. If we desire to seek first the kingdom of God, we desire to pray thy kingdom come, we need to know where and how to focus our prayers. Now a few things to put uh, an edge upon this point. One thing is the experience of the Thessalonians. And notice how Paul says this in verse 1. Pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. So how did the Thessalonians come to benefit from preaching? We read about that in Acts chapter 17. That Paul and Silas and Timotheus, they came to Thessalonica. They came to the synagogue. They began to uh, prove in their preaching and in speaking uh, that Jesus was the Christ. They began to speak to people. And then they they had some who believed and some of the important women of the city believed. And then there was the opposition and the Jews stirred up people against uh, the, the apostles and they came to Jason's house and they dragged Jason to the magistrates and so on. So Thessalonica would never have had the gospel if there hadn't been Paul and Silas to come there on their feet and to stand up in the synagogue and to speak forth the word of the Lord by preaching. This is why the kingdom of Satan was shaken in Thessalonica. This is why the They had turned from idols to serve the living God because the word came by preaching first to the synagogue and then it was also taken then to the Gentiles. And Paul had told these Thessalonians about that experience that they had had in his first epistle to them. He reminded them about the way that they had received the gospel in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. He says, verse five, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. So the preachers came, they were in their midst. They spoke the word and the word came with power in power. The moment of preaching, there was something more happening than just a man speaking words. God was also speaking and striking home the word to the hearts of the Thessalonians and their lives changed. They turned from idols to the living God. They were converted. There was a radical change that happened through the living power of the preached word of God. And so Now Paul is telling these Thessalonians in his second letter, remember about yourselves. Remember that you have benefited from the powerful preaching of the word of God. And therefore, when you pray, prioritize and focus your prayers upon the preaching of the word. Isn't that true of you this evening? Dear brother, dear sister, has not God used the preaching of his word in your lives? Where would you be without preaching? Perhaps at times you can remember specific sermons that God used at specific times to break different temptations and to help you forward. Perhaps there are other sermons that they're like the meals that you've eaten day after day after day. You can't remember what you ate perhaps three days ago, but you were still nourished by it. Isn't it true that spiritually speaking you're standing on your feet and functioning because Christ has come to you again and again and he has fed you with the preaching of his word. You have received and therefore the Lord calls upon you to remember that. Remember how it is with you. Where would you be without preaching? And therefore when you pray, pray for preaching. Another thing that helps us to see the urgency of this is the danger to the preachers themselves. Verse 2 highlights that, that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. You see, preaching has never been popular. We're told that it doesn't work today, or that if we go to the streets with preaching, that people won't hear it, or they won't like it, or they're not used to that. But the fact is, preaching has never been acceptable. We should accept, we should expect opposition. And so we we think of examples like John Payton going to the New Hebrides in the South Pacific and the dangers that he was in again and again and again uh, because he was carrying the word of God to those islands and disrupting the uh, pagan worship that was there. We can see today how Preachers will be more and more in danger for bringing God's word into the public square uh, by those that seek to silence them. And then there are also even within the church, uh, it's also true that all men have not faith that some come uh, uh, to listen to the word of God, but they uh, get a disliking to the word and seek to oppose the preacher. So this is, it is warfare. And whoever loves the Lord needs to know I need to stand on the Lord's side. There's something about a battle actually that helps to uh, stir us up and uh, to stir us up out of uh, complacency. And so uh, the devil hates preaching and he opposes preaching and he is vigilant and active to seek to destroy the fruits of preaching, and at times he attempts to destroy the preacher himself. And therefore you be stirred up and you focus your prayers on this whole matter of preaching. Pray for our brother who is about to be ordained as what? But as a preacher of the word of God. Something significant is taking place in the unseen realm that the principalities and the powers Recognize there is a step of advancement in terms of Christ striding forward and and uh, uh, claiming the kingdom for himself when a preacher is ordained. Pray for the new preacher. Pray for the preacher that you have in this pulpit. Pray for our brethren in the ministry. Focus your prayers on this matter of preaching. The priority of preaching is is the first thing to notice. Secondly, the success of preaching. Not only pray in a general way for preaching, but pray that preaching would succeed. And now this is certainly true that we want to pray that the preacher will be faithful no matter what happens, whether or not his message is Uh, received or not, but I do believe that this here in verse one, it's directing us to pray for the success of preaching. First of all, the Lord directs us to pray for preachers so that his word may have free course, or simply here the word refers to running, that the word of the Lord may run. And that echoes what I pointed out to you, Psalm 147, he sends forth his command upon earth, his word runneth very swiftly. In providence, in governing the world, God sends his word and the creature obeys immediately because of the powerful God that he is. And so should be, we should pray the same would be true in the realm of redemption, that the gospel word may run, just like God's word of command to the creatures. And Christ has wrought a wonderful redemption. Christ has laid down his life, and he has risen up from the dead. Redemption is accomplished. All has been paid. The principalities and powers have been spoiled in the cross of Christ. And what remains to be done? Nothing needs to be added to the sufferings or death of Christ. But all that Christ has done needs to be taken and applied. And how is that done? But through the word. And therefore we ought to pray that this word would run, run swiftly. And that implies several things. It implies that we should pray for swift messengers. It implies that we should pray that God would raise up those like Isaiah who who will be willing and will say, Here am I, send me those who will say with the psalmist that I did not stay nor linger long as those that slothful are, but hastily myself, thy laws to keep, myself I did prepare. If the word is to run, then the messengers must run. We even have examples in our Bibles of, of stirring up a minister to take heed to his ministry. Colossians 4 verse 17 And say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fill it, that thou fulfil it. The Christians are supposed to remind Archippus of his ministry and to take heed and to see that he fulfils it. So we should pray, yes, that God will raise up new ministers and that God will quicken the steps of those who are in the ministry. We we should pray that the word would run in the sense that it would advance into new places. David, speaking of warfare, he said that by his God, he could overleap a wall. And so we should pray that the gospel would leap over walls, that it would reach into places where it has not been preached before. What about Iran? What about Pakistan? Pray pray that the impossible would happen. Remember that we are praying to a God who is mighty. Remember that we are not praying that God's word would crawl along. We are to pray that it would run, that it, there would be a the kind of astonishment that one that would result. If you see someone, a strong man who is swiftly running a race, you're astonished by how fast and how smoothly he moves and he, he wins the crown. We ought to pray that the word of the Lord would advance swiftly. It implies that we should pray that preachers would have swift tongues. If the word is to run, it has to run by means of the speaking of a minister who speaks the word. And Moses, he felt his difficulty in this area. He said, I am slow of speech and ministers feel this. How can I make the word of God go forth in a fluid and lively manner when my own tongue is so dull and fat, my my heart, my thoughts, as well as my expression, I need utterance from the Lord. You should pray that ministers, pray that our new minister to be ordained and pray that all our brethren in the ministry would be given Psalm 45. My tongue is like the pen of a ready writer, Pray that when preaching happens that the word would not fall flat but that it would strike home to hearts. Pray that there would be a swift efficacy to the word as it is preached. Because when God created the world, he said, let there be light and there was light. There was an immediate power and efficacy to the word of God in creating Pray that that would be so as the gospel goes forth. That Christ's shafts, the, that the shafts of the king would sharply pierce the hearts of those that are foes to the king. Psalm 18 verse 44, as soon as they hear of me, they shall obey me. That's a messianic psalm. It's describing a a swift response unto the Lord Jesus Christ. And how can we be so bold as to pray for such a thing? Because we pray to a God to whom a thousand years are as one day. We look at all that needs to be happened to happen, for a sinner to be converted, or for a household to be saved, or for a nation to be changed. And we say, there's mountains of things that need to be overcome but we serve a great God. Our Lord Jesus Christ, he said to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for I must abide at thy house today. You see, the gospel of God deserves a swift and an immediate response. And that's something, children, for you to think about too, because here we're talking about the word of God running and that we're all to pray that the word of God will run. And what about you? Are you running towards the Lord and his word? Are you sluggish and slow in your receiving of the word? Or do you swiftly and readily open in the day when the Lord knocks to you and he says to you like Zacchaeus, make haste and come down? We We ought to respond to the word readily and pray that others will do so as well. We are to pray for the success of preaching by praying that it may run. And also we are to pray that it may be glorified. If there's a runner in a race, he exerts himself, he sweats, he strains every nerve, he perseveres all the way to the end in order that he might be the first to break through the tape at the finish line and that he may receive these days we give a blue ribbon or a crown which is given to the successful runner. We are to pray then that the, the preaching may run and that it may be glorified. That the word of God like a runner may be crowned and honored and receive the victory. How does this happen? What are we to pray for particularly? We are to pray that the word of the Lord will be glorified by faith, you see, whenever someone receives the word of the Lord with faith, the word of the Lord is thereby glorified. So we've been reading John three in our worship several times. And there it says he that hath received his testimony hath set to his seal that God is true. So whoever receives and believes the word of testimony, as it were, verifies that the God who's speaking to me in his word is is a God of truth and thereby, thereby glorifies the Lord by believing the word. God is glorified in his faithfulness when people believe his word. We ought to pray that people would do this. The word is glorified by changed lives. When the word is received in faith, the lives of men are altered. That was true of Paul himself because he that once persecuted the faith then preached the faith that he had once destroyed. And he says, Galatians 1, they glorified God in me, we can't believe what change has happened to this Saul of Tarsus and that he now preaches Jesus and his resurrection. Let the word of God be glorified by changed lives. Just begin to think about this. If a notorious sinner, a hardened person, were converted. And his life changed. Think of how much praise God would receive. We would all praise God when when that first happened, and we would be talking about it. It would give pep and zing to our Christian lives. It would loom large on our horizons. Here we are in our church, and we're, we're praying, and and the Lord works, and He saves someone. We'd be talking about it all week long. We'd be praising the Lord. And then there would be more and more people who would come to know this converted person. They would say, what a wonderful thing God has done. And and then there could be future generations that would praise the Lord for this, this one who has been converted. And then there's all of eternity in which God will be glorified and glorified and glorified for this one lost sheep who has been found and brought back effectually by the Good Shepherd. This is a spur and a motivation. We want to pray strategically. What can we pray for that God may be most glorified? We ought to pray for the conversion of souls through the preaching of the word of God. We ought to pray against things that would bring shame upon the word of the Lord. We ought to pray that those who profess the Lord would be kept from scandal, from returning like a sow to her wallowing in the mire. We ought to pray that Christians would be given grace to guard over their eyes and over their thoughts, their hearts, their words, their lives, lest then the word of God be dishonored by an inconsistent walk. We should pray that the word of the Lord would be be glorified in the experience of the Christian. In Psalm 56, there's that interesting phrase. I wonder if it's ever struck you. In God, I will praise his word. In God, will I trust. It's one of those parenthetical statements of scripture. He's beginning to say that in God, I will trust. But first he pauses to say how much he praises the word of God. In God, I will praise his word. In Psalm 119, that's the whole theme of the psalm is praise for the word of God. You see, in, in the life of a Christian, I was just speaking about what happens when someone's converted. There's glory to the Lord through his word. But think about the ongoing life of a Christian, whereby he's in distress and the word of the Lord comes to him with help. It gives him somewhere to put his foot down. It gives him a stepping stone in the mire. And oh, how he praises God for his word, which is given in this timely way to help him. He is uncertain which way to go in his life, and he receives counsel and wisdom from the word of God. And he praises God for what's been supplied to him. In the experience of Christians, the word of the Lord is glorified. We should pray that this would happen as preaching goes forth, that timely, accurate preaching would come home to the hearts of the believing hearers of the word, that they would see its value in their experience. And also we should pray that the word of the Lord may be glorified in the last day. Because surely, if the word of the Lord is like a runner and we're praying for the glorification of that runner in his triumph and his victory, we're, be, we're thinking then about the, the finishing of the course. It's one thing now for a preacher, for a minister to fight the good fight of faith and to finish his course, but it's an even greater thing for the word of the Lord itself to run all the way to the finish line and to be glorified. This is bringing before our mind's eye the certain hope that we have that God's word on the great stage of history will not return unto him void, but it will accomplish his purposes, that the gospel will bring forth a great harvest from the face of, of the earth and then that moment will come when faith is changed into sight and when we will say it will be like the queen of sheba we'll be saying the half of it wasn't told to us everything that was told to us in the word of the lord was true and then more that we couldn't possibly have imagined and then brethren will not the word of the lord be glorified in that day we should pray for preaching. That's our priority, and we should pray for the success of the Word. We ought not to think, oh, what a weak thing the Word of the Lord is. It's going to fail. We should expect just continual setbacks and defeats. We should pray for the success of preaching. The third thing this evening is the dependence of preachers. Paul says, finally, He's taking up a new subject. Here's a a remaining subject that I want to address with you. Finally, I've told you about Antichrist, chapter 2. And finally, brethren. Brethren whom I love. Brethren, he had a particular affection for this Thessalonian congregation. He said that as a nurse cherisheth her children that we were gentle among you. He says, we labored night and day working with our own hands so that we wouldn't be chargeable to you. We took the burden off of you. We ministered to you. Dear brethren, 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 pray for us. In that you see Paul, as an apostle, his sense of need. Now Paul, he had great grace. Paul, he had Gifts, exceptional gifts. But notice how he doesn't stand alone. He sees his need of God's help. He needs help that will come from heaven. And it will come by means of the prayers of his brethren. It could be the weakest Christian, the newest Christian, the most obscure Christian. But he needs the prayers of every Christian. And that's true of our ministers, our living ministers today. Brethren, we need your prayers. Pray for us. So notice that this is an imperative that God is addressing to his church. This is a duty that you have to pray for ministers so that the word of the Lord, so that preaching may succeed, that it may run and be glorified. And so because it's a duty, that means that you neglected at your own risk. So, just to get, a, get you to think about this, if things are going wrong, if we're having chastisements, if things are failing and falling down in our lives, one question we should ask would be, is there a duty that I owe to God that I'm not fulfilling? I'm not saying it's always that. But you need to think about that. And if there's a duty that you're neglecting, what would that duty be? Is it possible that you're failing to pray for ministers so that they would be able to preach by the blessing of God with success? Because to not do this is to not obey a command of God. And that means you're incurring the displeasure of God. This is something to think about and take to heart. Add to that also. Now this is an imperative that God gives to you. Finally, brethren, pray for us. And the success of the preaching of the gospel comes in answer to the prayers of the brethren. So I know just as well as you do that God is sovereign. I know just as well as you do that not everyone is going to believe the gospel. And that note of realism is certainly struck right there in verse two, for all men have not faith. We should pray with realism, recognize not everyone's going to be saved. God saves his elect. We recognize that. But the God who is sovereign uses means why does the gospel not succeed with certain people yes because God is sovereign and he's decreed who who he'll save and who he's passing by but the God of election uses means so why does the gospel not succeed with certain people in times and places Could it be because the brethren aren't praying that it will succeed? Think about it. Make sure that the blame can't be laid at your door. That the word of the Lord did not run and was not glorified because I did not pray that it would. Make sure that the blame is not laid at your door. Make sure that it can't be said to you, you didn't receive because you did not ask. This is a command of God to the brethren. What helps then can the Lord give to us? One thing to help you to fulfill this duty in order that the blame of not doing it can't be laid at your door is to think about the God that you pray to. Finally, brethren, pray for us. It's not explicitly mentioned here, pray to whom. We don't have one of the divine names inserted at at precisely this point in verse one, but the whole Bible tells us something about the God that we pray to. So we pray to a God who is mighty and who parted the Red Sea for his people to pass through. We pray to, the, to a God who's still the same today as he was when he created the world by the word of his power. God's word is powerful. That's the God we're praying to. We pray to a God who is gracious and merciful, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, pardoning iniquity and transgression and sin. When we pray that the word of the Lord may run and be glorified, we are not praying to a God who's reluctant to be won over to do such a thing as that. We are not praying to a God who says, well, I'll only save a trickle of people because you keep on pestering me but it's not really what I want to do no this is where God has placed the chief part of his glory in the history of the world is in the salvation of sinners through the word of the Lord pray to this God for what he is abundantly willing to do if God wasn't willing to make his word run and to have it be glorified, why would he have sent his son Jesus into the world to be crucified and to be blotted out and cut off from the land of the living and under darkness, under wrath, and under curse? God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. If God was not willing to make his word run and be glorified, why would he have sent down his spirit from heaven? The spirit's office and work is to accomplish this very thing. Remember Pentecost. God abundantly poured out his spirit there upon uh, his church. God is willing. God is willing. Therefore, you ask him, you pray, And you see, in in his kindness, God is involving you in what he purposes to do. God is involving you. He could do it without your ever asking. He sent his son into the world without your ever asking. But he saves sinners and makes his gospel prosper by your asking him. So that the answer to the prayer can be a delight to you. Think of the God that you pray to. That's a help to fulfill this duty. Another thing to help you fulfill this duty is to feel the shortness of time. Because when Paul was writing to the Thessalonians, he wrote to them about the last things. For whatever reason, that was a pastoral issue in Thessalonica. He wrote to them about what would happen when Jesus descended from heaven with the cry of the archangel and the dead were raised at the last day. And then he wrote to them in this second epistle. They seem to have gotten some wrong ideas. Maybe they stopped working. He told them, well, there are some other things that need to happen first before Jesus comes, like the revealing of Antichrist and so on. But my point is that in these epistles, there's a focus on the last things and Always the last things, the, the return of Christ, the general resurrection, the judgment, the destruction of the wicked and fire. He speaks of that in this epistle. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God. There's a hell. Christ is coming. Time is short. The sand is slipping through the hourglass. And so pray, have an urgency, have a fire in your belly about praying for the success of the word of the Lord. This is not a matter of, well, we'll get to praying this when we've got all our ducks in a row. When we have our nest feathered and just the way we want to and things adjusted in our lives, then we'll turn to give attention to pray for the success of the gospel. No, this is an urgent priority. How are we to pray for the word of the Lord to run, to go swiftly forth, Unless we have a sense of this. Time is short. Therefore pray that the word would run. Think of the shortness of time. Here's another thing to help you in this duty. Have a plan. Have a plan. In order to pray for ministers. Now this may sound unspiritual. But... It's not. We shouldn't think, well, praying for the ministry and the success of the preaching of the gospel, you know, I'll just, I'll do it when the Spirit moves me sovereignly. Well, praise the Lord for those times when He comes in with the, the the wind of the Spirit blowing upon us and stirring us. But God other things we have a plan. You know, we decide when am I gonna wake up, when am I gonna go to work, when's dinner time gonna be, etc. When am I going to do my laundry? You plan out a whole bunch of stuff. So plan, have a plan. Know when, and you are going to pray for the success of the preaching of the word. We have, throughout the Bible, we have references to patterns of prayer, prayer day and night, morning and evening prayer, in your private prayers, in your family prayers. Make this a point that you're regularly bringing before the throne of grace. Have a plan. And also, don't get weary. Verse 13 of this chapter tells us that. It's a general exhortation there in verse 13. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. And it applies to any of our duties. It applies also to this duty of praying for the success of the preaching of the word. Don't get weary. I'm very confident that I preach this evening uh, to Uh, a number of of very sweet souls who who do love the preaching of God's Word and who do desire its success and who do pray for the success of the preaching of God's Word. But even when we have the best intentions and our heart is in the right place, we can get weary. But in the providence of God, He reminds us and He stirs us up again. So here we are this evening. uh, We've been called upon to observe a fast day for praying for the success of a minister in his proclamation of the word of God. And that comes along and it reminds us how dependent we are at the beginning of the ministry. It reminds us of how we need to stay in continual dependence upon God for this, for this very thing. And so may the Lord bless them. May he Indeed, this word that's been preached tonight, may he give it free course, may he cause it to run swiftly and meet you swiftly and and have power in your hearts and be glorified in its fruitfulness. Amen. Well, let's go to the Lord in in prayer. Uh, We have some items noted on the back of the bulletin, including for Reverend Gardner, who's in severe and almost constant back pain. And uh, please, if one of the brethren could remember him. um, We also, in keeping with the preaching we've just heard, we want to pray for the things that we've heard about. And in particular, we should pray for Mr. Shelton, who's about to be ordained on Friday evening. And... It can help us just sometimes to refresh our memories about the man that we're praying for. And so here was a young man who was uh, not in the Lord and who was living for the world and was um, successful in his uh, family business and so on. And uh, through severe providences like a, a car wreck and through exposure to preaching and There was a sermon about hell that God brought along his path and sobered him and caused him to seek and has made this our brother uh, to be born again and to desire the gospel ministry. There's been a period of preparation and uh, blessings and trials in his family life that have been used of the Lord and a providential connection to Auburn Opelika where he's been preaching for as a student candidate for what two years perhaps so it can help us to remember you know what the Lord has done and we should remember that in the ministry there are many attacks of Satan there are uh, both joys and sorrows and a need for daily continual help from the Lord so please do pray for Mr. Shelton and let's let's stand then and go to the Lord in prayer Uh, Elder Greenwald, could you lead us in prayer and also Mr. Womble?